So I'm going to introduce you to someone really interesting. She's actually my coach. Her name is Najana Jurich, and I want to welcome her to the podcast. Najana, welcome. Thank you. Uh, it's nice to be here. You might be thinking, what's going on? Why is he talking to his coach? And how is this content a little bit different to the previous content that I've been putting out? So here's a little bit of context. Over the past year or so, I've actually been getting coached. And I want to share that experience with you today. In fact, I actually want to change my content around for the next few months and share a topic that's become really important to me. And that is mental fitness and leadership development. I've actually made an investment in a business called Live. I'll tell you guys more about that later. And Live is the gym for mental fitness and leadership development. In this post-pandemic world, we're living these crazy lives behind computer screens. And it's really important to look back inward and see what's going on and focus on ourselves. So Snajana, I'm gonna hand over to you and I'm gonna ask you, before we get to know you a little bit more, I wanna jump straight into it. And I wanna ask you why you think executives should consider coaching. Well, thank you for having me again. Uh, let, let's get started with it, right? So why do I think executives need coaching um, or should consider coaching? First of all, clarity and direction. Um, as an executive, as a founder, as a CEO, uh, you rarely have enough time to sit back, relax, and think about where you are in this whole thing. So what is it that you're doing, where your focus is? And this is what coaching allows you to do. It is your time to focus on your activities, your ideas, and your progress. It helps you gain clarity on matters such as goals, uh, where the company's headed, what you, what's your vision, whether you're in the right direction, whether you're going towards that vision, or even whether that vision still stands. But it also gives you a sense of accountability. When you work with a coach, there's somebody who holds you accountable. And in positions, so high, such as founders, CEOs, unless you have a co-founder or a partner, um, you talk to your friends and family, but sometimes you just need that non-relatable person, somebody who doesn't know you at all, who can hold you accountable to meeting your goals, to making progress. So I would say those are two major things to consider, but of course there are other benefits um, such as um, you get clearer on your progress, uh, you make sure you prioritize well, maybe you get better at, at delegating or you stop procrastinating. In general, you develop leadership skills or improve the ones that you already have. The accountability thing, I think for me personally, was the greatest utility. Um, you know, a lot of times as leaders, we're helping others, we're guiding others, the burden kind of sits on your shoulders and you don't have someone to share that with. We love our spouses, our partners, our friends, our family, but they're not necessarily the people that want to listen uh, to the things that we want to get off our chest or are trained to listen. So is there a science behind this? Because when I first heard about coaching or considered coaching, it was a little bit of a dirty word to me. Like we'll, we'll get to that later as, as, you know, what coaching is and how it's developed as a, as a profession. But what's the science? I had a science or some intellectual body come into it. And definitely there is science to it. And I can see how 
coaching can be considered uh, an empty word in a way, because nowadays I think anybody can be a coach and everybody is a coach of a sort. And while that may be true, not everybody is a good coach. And like you said, we will probably explore that a little more, but the science, yes. So first of all, um, most professional coaches, if not all get professionally trained. So there are requirements that we all have to meet depending on different schools and approaches that you do, but we have to meet certain requirements to be able to be certified as coaches. So it's not just, you know, handing things out and um, based on your skills, you get to decide whether you be a coach or not. So we learn how to approach people. We learn how to talk to people. We learn how to listen and what to listen for. And so there is a, a huge combination of a variety of aspects. I've recently learned about human design and how that plays into coaching, um, linguistic approach, you know, the words we choose, the way we talk, that also plays a huge role in coaching. Of course, a lot of um, psychology is involved, but also a lot of communication. So I would say coaching is, is a combination of different disciplines where the organizations who are certifying coaches decided to choose what matters the most or where they would like to focus. And then they created this um, guide in a way of uh, that coaches can use in their practice. Yeah, I guess there's also a lot more awareness now of the behavioral scientists um, out there. You know, with technology, we've got a greater ability to become more aware of our own biology, of the way that things function. I can jump on YouTube today and, you know, learn so much about neuroscience that I wouldn't have had access to that kind of information. And I guess the beauty of, of coaching having low barriers to entry um, the beauty of it is that it allows more, you know, skilled people to come in who are passionate uh, to, to take part of that. The flip side is that low barrier to entry, anybody can come in, but it's kind of like real estate, right? Real estate in a lot of markets around the world. That's my frame of reference, by the way. Real estate <laughs> is like, it's low barriers to entry, but the market kind of weeds out those that are good from everybody else. And everybody else tends to kind of like give up because there is so much competition but back to coaching, um, we, we spoke a little bit together about coaching for individuals. What about coaching for organizations or how are you seeing that shift for companies, um, for leadership groups, for not-for-profits, just for collective groups of people? Mm -hmm. Well, just like there is uh, individual coaching, there's also team coaching. So from that perspective, uh, coaches are trained, not all of them, but some uh, can choose to get trained in team coaching which is the approach you take you know, with the entire team and you coach them as, as a team, not as a group, as a team. But then there's also individual coaching that can be applied to organizations. They both have their benefits. Um, the, group, the team coaching is mostly used to resolve a certain team issues. For example, if there's a communication problem within the team, then a coach would get to the team and then together they would work on resolving the issue. Um, maybe there's a conflict within the team, then together they resolve the issue or, you know, just the team wants to grow and develop as a team. And so a coach would come in, the team would choose a skill they would like to develop, and then they together they work on achieving the goal. But the difference being, of course, you, you may as well heard it, it's together. So as a team, we work on our own growth. 
Individual coaching does a similar thing. It's just more focused on an individual, but the benefits of both to the organization are that you're, um, you're investing in having better leaders. You're investing in having a, a more rounded employee in overall, and you're also investing in having a more agile or resilient employee because the more you go through coaching, the more aware you become of what your strengths are, the more aware you are of how to adapt to change, how to accept change, how to be in the change. And this is something that all organizations should strive for because if your employees, if, if your team members are resilient and they're comfortable with change, there's really nothing that can stop you from moving forward because the, the change is constant, right? That's right. You know, one of the, um, we've actually used Snedana in, in our business, Wealthy. And one of the things that I was really worried about um, was what our team would think when we approached them and said, hey, we're offering you coaching. We didn't want them to feel like we were implying that there's something wrong, that you need to be managed or you need extra help or you're not good enough. We had to spend a lot of time to position that in a way that the context was, here's an extra resource for you in the same way that, you know, we can offer you a gym pass or we can offer you access to technology. We want to offer you access to leadership development. So what are kind of some best practices that you found, particularly for organizations, because an individual kind of knows they're either in or they're not. Um, but, you know, for organizations that are thinking about coaching collectively as part of their leadership training. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, definitely the best practices, and, and you mentioned it, you know, preparing your team for it, uh, letting the team know and understand that this is not some controlling uh, aspect that you're introducing to the team, but it really is an additional resource. So on the, the it is the company's responsibility to prepare that terrain so that when the coach comes in, the employees are not resistant to start with. So there's no that barrier, oh, you know, she's going to report to my boss. You yeah. know, they're constantly monitoring everything because then there's no openness. And the base for coaching is um, safe space. You know, you're here to share, to get comfortable with the coach so that you can work through um, maybe issues that you have or you can work on improving your skills. So there, it's not necessary that there exists a problem for an organization to introduce coaching. Coaching yeah. can definitely be introduced for growth. So you see that you, you've reached a certain level, the company is doing well or the organization is doing well, but you're not sure what the next step could be. This is where coaching can come in um, for the organization because what we do is we explore um, the strengths of each employee and where their areas of improvement are. And then together we come up with a plan of growth. So as you're investing in each individual or a team to grow, your company grows because then you have individuals who are contributing more because they understand more. And they're, you know, maybe they can be more productive because we're working on setting goals. Each coaching session has a goal. So over time, people learn how to set achievable goals, how to set goals for themselves, how to measure their goals, how to stay productive, how to prioritize. And all of this ties into a stronger team who is uh, able to perform better. That's that's really interesting because um, 
we found in our business that we, when I say we, you know, we point to ourselves first as the leaders, we found ourselves in a bit of a state of languish. We were languishing. We weren't really struggling, but we weren't really thriving post-pandemic. There was just so much. We came out of a, you know, back to business, you know, pretending like everything is normal again, pretending like everything is okay, but it wasn't. It was manifesting in our health. It was manifesting in our relationships. It was manifesting in a lot of different ways. And, it, you know, since we brought coaching into our organization, a lot of that stuff came out, but it came out, it was kind of like a detox. It was, it was a detox where we, we got rid of the bad habits and now we're seeing our team really flourishing again, rather than languishing, they're flourishing. And it's really that talk therapy, that ability to have someone, you know, make you accountable, someone by your side and someone to share with, which leads me to my next question. Um, I think you're a fantastic coach. And Thank you. <laughs> uh, but, but tell me uh, what makes someone a good coach and what makes someone a, we won't call them a bad coach, but we call them not a good coach yet or a, or a coach in progress? Um, well, I would say, first of all, it depends on the person as in the coachee, because just with like with anything else, not everybody's compatible. So when you're searching for a coach, it is really important that you feel comfortable with this person. And one coach can be good for one person, but not so good for the other. And, and that's totally okay. But overall, as we talk about good and, and developing coaches, a good coach will have experience, not necessarily too much in coaching, which of course is always great, but a good coach needs to have experience in, in listening, in the skills that are required for a coach, first of all. You can gain those skills through your previous experiences. For example, my uh, academic background is in teaching and linguistics. Uh, my professional background is in management. And when I decided to um, get into coaching, I combined these two. And a lot of what I learned through these uh, previous experiences enabled me to be a better coach because I learned how to listen. I learned how to approach certain um, issues in, in a certain way. And that helps a lot. So I would say a good coach is the one who first has the skills to start with and then is very open to learning. Because um, when you start coaching, of course, we have the theory, we may even have practice, we may have worked with a coach before. And so we kind of know what the process looks like. But when you start, it is then that you realize, oh, you know, I need to find my niche, I need to understand these people better, I need to know who I can um, serve better. And for me, to be honest, the biggest difference between a good coach and a, a developing coach is providing value. Mm. A good coach will always be focused on giving value to the coachee, to the client. So a developing how did you, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, I was just gonna ask you, how did you get into it? Um, I mean, you spoke about your background and the kind of cool projects. Um, at what point in your corporate career did you as an individual put your hand up and say, I'm gonna change path and um, I'm going to become a coach? It came spontaneously for me. Uh, like I said, I had been, uh, I have management experience. So I worked in the um, mobile gaming industry for nine or 10 years. And that gave me a lot of uh, 
corporate, but then also industry knowledge and experience and, you know, dealing with different people, dealing with different teams, challenges, um, seeing the organizations grow, that helped a lot. And then I decided one day, so I was looking at, I was kind of coaching myself in a way, I was looking at where, what's, what's good about my skills, where I really, really offer value for people, where do I see people grow when they work with me? And for me, growth is very important, both personal and professional. And over time, I've invested a lot of time, money, and energy into my own growth. And so as I was kind of analyzing my skills, my passions, I learned that I really, really enjoy helping people grow and improve, but not from a, a therapy perspective or an HR perspective. For me, it was all about just management. Helping people realize their full potential and then execute on it. And um, then I started searching for different schools and different accreditations. And I came across ICF. It um, That stands for International Coaching Federation. Um, it sounded like a good idea. And then I got started with the training and then everything else that comes with it. Was this around the pandemic before or after? This was at the very sort of at the very beginning of it. <laughs> so it, it definitely gave me a lot of time to invest in learning and growth because of course, depending on the country, but most of us spent a lot of time at home. Yep. Uh, and so we had a lot of time to think and explore. And for me, that was a great opportunity to just keep learning and see what I can do about myself. Yeah, it's amazing how, you know, we live through the pandemic and because we went through it, a lot of us don't necessarily see the changes that came out because we experienced it. But I think in 20 or 30 years, we're going to look back and we're going to see a lot of trends that emerged because of the pandemic. And my journey is similar to yours. You know, I wouldn't pinpoint the pandemic as the reason, but it kind of was when you go back and look at it. Um, I found myself at home running a business distant with my business partner, distant with my team, distant from my family. Um, and it was a different world, you know, and it gave me the ability to look inwards and look at myself and just stop and think, you know, what's going on? We, we wear this kind of costume of a profession or a career or an identity, but beneath it, there's the person that you've kind of always been. And that person started to come out for a lot of us during the pandemic, either in a good way or a bad way, um, which leads me to my next question. You kind of touched on it, but how has coaching grown, changed, emerged since the pandemic? Has, has, have you seen anything in the profession of coaching or in the acceptance of it at a corporate level or an organizational level following the pandemic? I'd say it, it changed, it, it grew, it definitely grew. Um, and here, maybe just a, a good place to make a distinction. When we talk about coaching, we don't talk about uh, the definition of close to mentoring. So we, we're not talking about teaching somebody how to do something. It's more of a support. So the definition of coaching that includes a supporting role in a way. So something to help you develop and grow. It, I think it, it did um, open a lot of doors for different organizations to try it out. First, of course, their leaders, but then also um, the, the lower level management, even just individual employees, depending on what your needs are. But I think in general, people became more aware of 
themselves mm. because they had a lot of time <laughs> to spend with themselves. <laughs> and so those, um, of course, who have families, it may have been different because, you know, you're in one space altogether. But even that, it gave you um, a nudge to think about, okay, well, is this who I really am? And if it is, do I like it? Do I need to change? How do I do this? And then on a professional level, I think with coaching, uh, the biggest benefit is that we look, especially in business coaching, we'll look at a professional level. Of course, you can't exclude the personal life. And sometimes you need to work through those personal issues to be able to perform better. But business coaching is where you say, okay, you know, it's a safe space. I don't have to dig deep into my childhood and do the whole therapy, but it still does give me a lot of value in the sense of understanding myself. And so I think that's what the pandemic brought, really, um, a heightened or a higher awareness of who we are and, and what we need to do to change. And some people embrace it, some don't, but that, that's okay. It's a, it's a choice that we all make. Yeah, I think also a lot of leaders that you know I, I look up to, I work with, um, I socialize with, I learn from, as leaders, we also saw it as a pivotal point to start caring about others in different ways. You know, the corporate environment has always been cutthroat, has always been profit-driven, and the human element was always kind of important, but it was always on, you know, it was always there on the list, and you may have put it, you know, in your annual report or put it up somewhere to pretend, but when you actually saw your team going through really, you, you saw all of society global society going through a really bad time and we saw our own vulnerabilities as human beings and then I think something happened there amongst leaders where they became more open to you know to to prioritizing humans um, people becoming the driving force the need for mental fitness the need to invest in our leaders beyond just training or skills or classical business development but you know the the, the mental side and the 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 side that you're talking about um okay that's all the hard work uh now some some fun right we've spoken about some serious stuff and i'm really happy and i'm really thankful for you um coming and, and sharing and we're trying something new and you know this is new for me and you've made it really really seamless and and really really enjoyable so i'm going to ask you um two quick questions before we wrap up um and we've got to do this again by the way because uh, I've, I've learned a lot um, okay, all guests are going to get asked this question. What does mental fitness, not mental health, but mental fitness mean to you? For me, that's acceptance. Um, it is understanding what you're, where you're strong and where you need to work and what you want to do about it. So accepting yourself as you are and then accepting the decision that you make because not everybody chooses to change and that's absolutely okay but I think mental fitness is that moment where you say okay here's what's good about me here's what I need to change I don't want to change this right now and really being okay with that or you know if you say okay I want to change this and this is how I want to do it or maybe I need help to do it but again being really realistic about where you are in this world, what's good about it and what's not, and whether you want to change or not, and then accepting the consequences or the results that come with it. That's on the one side. And then the other side is actually being um, agile in the sense of 
accepting change and being aware that really change is the only constant. Things keep changing no matter what you do. So being comfortable with change as much as possible is definitely for me an element of being mentally fit. Yeah, that's really, really nice. That's a that's a really nice way to put it. And at the beginning of um, you know, our conversation, I spoke about live and and we aspire to be the gym for mental fitness. Um, and in the same way you go and get insurance on your car, on your home, or you go to the gym to work out because you don't want to develop health problems later, you know, from a from a mental perspective, we kind of don't really have a culture where we exercise our mental vulnerabilities or our mental strength in those ways that you're saying so that it doesn't lead um, to, to mental health outcomes. And it's, it's great that we're now going into a generation and into a world where mental fitness, mental vulnerabilities are no longer taboo. We don't have to mask them with alcohol, with drugs, with cigarettes, with all the things that previous generations have relied on. And it's okay to kind of say, hey, you know, in the same way that, you know, it's not taboo to say, I want to go and work out so that I don't develop, you know, physical health issues. Um, we can we can have those conversations and that investment into the things that are going to keep us happy and living meaningful lives. And if, if my, uh, I may add, um, I'd also say you, there's a really good point that you made there, and that's it's prevention. Coaching is not, or mental fitness in general, is not something that we address when the problem is there. Of course, we have to then, but it is more about, well, okay, how can I stay ahead of this? How do I not get into the problem that I need to solve? And one way is definitely paying attention to who you are, being aware of who you are and what you need to change and then working on that. Okay, last question. And this flows really, really nicely. Um, what is your advice to leaders who have ambitions and goals to change the world. And I want to say change the world because that's inspired by a video that I saw of uh, Steve Jobs last week. And, you know, it's Steve Jobs talking when he's come back into Apple and, you know, he's remaking marketing and they've put out their first ad since his return. And the whole ad was, we want to build tools to help those people that want to change the world. And I think there's something beautiful in that because a lot of times we set our bar too short. So not just what's your, you know, what's your advice to leaders or to business owners or to individuals, but to those that want to dream big and change the world. It's going to be a bit of a cliche, but I, I would say, you know, be that change. In order for you to create change, you need to start from yourself but truly start from yourself, not, you know, try, you know, get up, dust yourself off and then try again and try again, but really stop, see where you are, see where you need to improve, work on that and then show people that just like you've changed and then now you can influence and, and create a better world, everybody else can. And we often get caught up in that um, sense of, oh, but you know, he had this background or he had, it was just lucky. Everything comes naturally to him or her. We, we have a lot of these excuses. You know, I don't have X, Y, Z to be able to perform. No, we, we all have it. We just need to stop. And with this pace of life that we have, that is just go, 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 go. We rarely stop 
and reflect and review. And that's where we would all need to start. So if you want to change the world, if you want to do something that's bigger and greater, no matter where you are right now, stop, breathe, and reflect. And then, you know, once you're in tune with yourself, it's so much easier to create the change because you understand why you're doing it. Great advice. Thanks so much. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, as I said, I'd love for us to do this again. Um, we've learned a lot today and hopefully those that are watching, listening, um, have also learned something new. And um, yeah, I just want to say thanks so much and um, any final words? No, well, Peter, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure and uh, so I, I had so much fun and I just love sharing this with people. I guess that's partly why I decided to be a coach, even though as a coach, you don't give much advice, but it's still so much fun to learn. And so, yeah, thank you for having me and um, you guys, whatever it is that you want to try, try it. Procrastinating is not going to get you anywhere. If you want to know more and you don't want to write a comment or you don't want your views to be seen, you can always send me a DM wherever you're seeing this. I'll connect you with Snezhana, answering you of your questions, and we're here to help. Thanks again. And um, next episode of the podcast, I'm going to have someone different, but I'm going to definitely bring you back. Thanks, Snezhana. Thank you. Have a lovely day. Bye.